And now, for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PNR with This Old Marketing. Take it away, boys. Well, hello, content marketers. I'm Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 33 of PNR's This Old Marketing, recorded on Monday, June 30th of 2014. Hey, did you hear the one about the podcast reviewer that gets sick? No? Well, I didn't either. That must mean that podcast reviews are good for your health. Dr. Oz even says so. So why don't you go on over to iTunes and give our little audio gift to you, a little bit of the old prescription love. Give us a review, won't you? And here's something else. This podcast will go live tomorrow. And if you're listening to this on Saturday, well, you've lost three whole days of being ahead of the content marketing news curve. So if you want all your content marketing news goodness a few days early, we hope you'll consider subscribing via iTunes or Stitcher. And then you can spend Saturday stopping by thisoldmarketing.com where you'll also find the show notes and all the detail of the great stuff we talk about here. Anyway, and also, as always, please welcome my colleague and good, good friend coming from Cleveland, Ohio. Please welcome the revolutionary founding father of content marketing, Mr. Joe Polizzi. How are you, my friend? Are you ready for Independence Day? Uh, That's deep, my friend. I I look forward to your openings because I have no idea what angle you're going with. And you go with (laughs) you pull Dr. Oz. Out of your head. Had to. Uh, you know, a little little birdie <laughs> told me that uh, somebody just celebrated a birthday. So, ah, uh, well, I happy don't know. birthday. Yeah, maybe. I'm not going to say. Thank you very much. To the delight of our <laughs> let's all be audience. thankful for that. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I I'm, I'm looking forward to a couple days uh, time off. I'm actually looking forward to. You know, I got to I got to tell you, I'm getting into the world. I'm getting into the FIFA stuff. Isn't it fantastic? Oh my gosh, it's so it's fun the to watch. First time. It, and I don't know why I didn't four years ago or, or however. I don't even know how, how often they do the, the tournament. But I'm actually – I watched non-U.S. I watched the Costa Rica-Greece. Wasn't it great? Great I'm game. Like, I must be going nuts because I'm starting to get into and understand football. So that, that, Yes. Well, I'm not there yet. I love watching, and I can't understand all of the uh, intricacies of how plays are set up and all that kind of stuff. So I'm really trying to study up on that. But it's been it's been just so much fun. And I guess this World Cup, which I also didn't know because I'm just not a student of the game, I guess this World Cup, there's been more goals scored this uh, this tournament than in tournaments past. So it's been a really exciting Yeah, World like Cup a two-to-one. It's a barn burner. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <I'm- laughs> Oh God. well, you know. I mean, it makes it more exciting, no, it, right? You know, and all of the celebrations where the guys are beating up the little corner flags and doing flips, and the one guy who put the ball under his shirt to celebrate his pregnant wife. I mean, those are all fun too. I mean, it's just it's fantastic. Well, the only thing I'll say, I I played six minutes straight of indoor soccer before. Oh and my I God! Almost yeah, died. You, you appreciate. I yeah, you totally I appreciate imagine. it. They are such amazing. That's my they appreciation such great shape. of how amazing they are from an athletic perspective so absolutely anyways. absolutely all right well moving on to our news of the week um interesting summer it's summertime the the news is usually slow but holy smokes we made news this week big news this week content marketing institute acquires the intelligent content conference congratulations my friend joe wow i didn't even know this was in our lineup of news to cover that's <laughs> i'm sure you didn't totally. thank you actually yes. i would you know i I've been giving my take to reporters and news releases and whatnot. I would like to get your take. What does this mean for the industry? What do you think? Well, so I wrote a post at the beginning of this year um, about content strategy and really about how they're connected but separate practices within most businesses. And it's, you know, it's, as I've said many times in probably too cute a way, I've said that, you know, content strategy does with scalpels and fine pens what content marketing does with big magic markers and crayons you know we we content marketers want to tell a story we want to affect the story of a business and how we can affect the business in a positive way from a sales marketing loyalty perspective but we do so in big broad strokes like we marketers are want to do and content strategists really work in a much broader sense of how content can be managed technically as a strategic asset within the business. And that affects everything from the way it's presented through interfaces to the way it's organized and managed and uh, tagged and categorized and, and just used as a strategic asset. So they are very related, but very separate uh, practices. And I think this is such what, but what we're finding is, is that there's, it is such an intricate part 
uh, or an integral rather part of marketing that it makes such a good sense for content marketing and content strategists to work together for sort of the the joint good of the business. And many content strategy people are finding their homes within the business in marketing. And so I think it makes perfect sense for us to actually start to cover, as I said in that blog post and still believe to this day, it makes absolutely perfect sense for us to cover this space, to get good at it, to really find those thought leaders within this space and help surface this practice as something that is so very important for businesses to cover off, not only as a part of what they're doing from a content marketing perspective, but what they're doing from a communications perspective even more broadly. So hats off to us for for doing it. And I'm just super excited about getting to work with some of the content strategy people that I know in the business and hoping that they'll sort of jump on board with, you know, with what we have to say about it. Thank you for the take on that. I mean, first of all, big hats off to, Ann Rockley and, and co-producer yeah, Scott Abel for building yeah. something I think that's very, very special. And the good news is that they're going to stay involved in this. There's Really what we're bringing to the table is we believe that this is so critical we want to put more resources behind it. Uh, but the one thing, there's a couple couple like come-to-Jesus moments I had with this whole thing. One was when I, when I was putting <laughs> together the program for Content Marketing World and number of amazing case studies that we're going to cover for Content Marketing World, but a lot of them didn't really look at the content they were creating as an asset. as a strate- You said this really well, a strategic asset. It was more, let's create the content, put a lot of wonderful design about it, here's a distribution, and we're going to release the campaign and we're done. And I think that's an old world view of content marketing, actually. And I think that if we start to look at, at it more strategically, which is really what Intelligent Content Conference brings to the table, to look at it that way on the right device to the right audience at the right time with the right message, um, I mean, I think we can learn a lot from that. So I'm super, super excited about kind of bringing these forces together. And uh, I mean, does that, does that sound right to you? It does. Well, so here's something that I've been saying a lot. Uh, to clients and to at conferences. In fact, my recent trip to Europe, I may have said it 10 or 20 times in, in the scope of like seven days, which is when we're thinking about the business case for content marketing, you know, what I've been saying recently is, look, there is no doubt that every single business, and I don't care if you're one person, 10 people, or 100,000 people, you're producing exponentially more content than you did a year ago and a year before that and a year before. So there's no question you're producing more content than you have ever before. Now, so there's no question that content will affect your business. It will. It will affect your business. The only choice you have now is will content affect it in a positive way or a negative way? Will the content that you're creating in exponential more volume basically be the confetti that's coming out of the back of the machine that weighs down the machine and basically inhibits productivity and success, or will it be that which facilitates the success? In other words, you have a choice now. You will produce more content. You can actually choose to manage it strategically, or you can choose that it will actually just be this byproduct of stuff that you create that basically weighs down the business and slows you down from doing what you want to do. So, if that's not a business case for content as a strategic asset managed well and used to effectively uh, uh, produce great results for the business, I don't know what that's is. Deep. I mean, there's this is some inferior yeah, inciting in some of these people. Get them <laughs> off their butts. Yeah. <laughs> the- well, it's true though. I mean, you know, it's like I, you know, it, it's like I, I just watch businesses after businesses. You know, the 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 number of just the sheer number of PDFs that we create as a business is just. It's huge. You know, the, just we basically marketing departments spend their days now producing more and more and more and more content. And it's sometimes it's sales enablement, sometimes it's just brochures, sometimes it's great content, sometimes it's blogs, sometimes it's social media, sometimes it's white papers, some yeah, it's all of the above, right? It's this giant mountain of content that we create. You know, in one company's uh, 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 example, you know, four gigabytes for one product solution per week of content is created. And 
that mountain of content is just is not going away, and so we just have to be better at it. We just have to be much better at it than. So we as are. we wrap up this one, thank you for the for the comments on this. Really insightful. The the one thing is, uh, we are still going to have it on the West Coast, so it'll be March 2015 on the West Coast. Yay for me! Yeah, absolutely. So we're we're very excited about keeping it in California. And then the the second thing I just thought about this, but you and I met for the first time at a Michael Silverman Scott Abel event content strategy event in uh, in chicago i think it was correct and we yeah and indeed. it started all this so we ha- sort of back to our roots to content strategy if you will <laughs> it comes full circle it's the circle of well life, the funny actually. thing is we were the outliers That's in those right. events for we were the years, two marketing right? we were folks. The, yeah we were the marketing schmucks showing up and going hey there's this thing called content marketing that you may want to take a look at you know and and of course that was me that was but you, you know what's funny is what we more... both spoke at intelligent content this year and it was almost the same thing although they had more of yes. a, they had a content marketing track this year but still it was it's still happening five years later the same six years later the same thing is happening all right well uh moving on the end of marketing as we know it dun 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 big very uh broad headline coming from our friends at ad age um and it's uh, appended of course with at procter and gamble and this was a fascinating article i thought because it's talking about how Procter & Gamble has very recently, this month in fact, basically switched their job titles and responsibilities uh, for what was currently uh, called marketing directors and have now been moved into brand management, uh, a single point of responsibility for the strategy plan and results for brands. Um, and this was, I'm, I thought this was just really interesting because here we have one of the largest companies on the planet that manages consumer uh, products. And they basically really now have completely shifted what they look at as marketing as sort of, you know, from, and by, by the way, this was the first time it's changed since 1993 when they took away the title of advertising uh-huh. manager and moved it over to marketing manager. And now they have basically two leaders of every consumer product that they now manage, which is a brand management person and an associated uh, associate brand management person who's going to handle everything related to the strategy, communication strategy, and uh, identity of every brand they produce. What did you, I mean, what did you think about this? You know, I was torn actually. So interesting. By the way, this is fresh. Like this just was published yeah. today and they are making yeah, exactly. them, officially making the move tomorrow, which is July 1st, which yep. is also my dad's birthday. Happy birthday, dad. Um, oh, so there's so a couple things. Uh, I don't, I'm not much for titles at all. Like I, well, I don't right. care at all. But when, when somebody like a Procter and Gamble makes this change, you have to take notice because they're a leader, almost like we talk about Coca-Cola in the content marketing space. So titles don't matter. Goals and purposes do. So I'm assuming that does this mean that goals and purposes change? I, I don't know. But here's what it does tell me. And I almost bring this back to the where you've been talking for, boy, the last few months heavy into content marketing as experience as customer experience and how critical right. that is. That's where I think this is going, right? They're really focusing on we are we are in charge of the customer experience because the if we if I look at break apart brand management, brand, okay? Well, how do you define brand? Brand is is what your customer feels about that or or, or the prom, you know, promise made to a uh, to from the company, the the company's promise or what I expect from the company, and it depends on which definition you look at, but it all revolves in the customer's expectations and experience around the meaning of that brand. So it does this does this mark that? Does this change that? I guess that's my question back to you. Okay, I see where they're going, but does it really make a difference at all outside of the fact that there are thousands of marketing publications across the universe that are in fear right now that they need to change the titles of their magazines and websites to to now you know instead of marketing news it's brand management news i mean i actually i gotta take that domain out 
I better do that. I better do that now. <laughs> what do you think? Well, I, I think so. Here's what I think. I think. Look, I mean, it's 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 hard for us to know on the inside whether this is you know. I mean, everybody at P and G may be sort of rolling their eyes and going, "Yeah, thanks for catching up, P and G. You know, HR, we've been operating this way for a long time. Thank you very much." Um, or they may be going, "Holy smokes, this is the you know." I, I so I have. I think it's too new to to really understand what the reality at the street level is for most of these brands and i suspect it sort of varies from brand to brand to brand where you've got some brands that are really on it and some brands that are sort of still suffering from 18th century hierarchical sort of structures how having said all of that what i like about it what i like about the move and 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 i think i'm echoing you here where it's a very large leader in you know in in the business space not just a marketing space where they're they're identifying this the that the idea of strategy and communications management, basically what they're talking about with brand directors here, should be a central function that is then networked out to all of the other areas. So one of the things that they talk about here is how the brand management organization will now sit entirely within global business units rather than sort of being this sort of siloed thing that is all you know you know over the over yeah. the world right so instead of there being a brand manager for china and a brand manager for you know for uh you know south america or brazil or you know whatever it is now you'll have a brand management unit that sits globally that sort of talks about the communication and quite frankly experience of the brand and then will be executed at the regional level as it needs to get executed. I think what they're what they're doing is they're reacting to both the global challenges um, that uh, that are faced by large uh, worldwide organizations, as well as the idea that experience now is so omni-channel and, and it has to be managed in a much more holistic manner than can ever be managed at the at a local or regional it level. Seems to don't you think it elevates the role of marketing? By them calling it this, it it, it does. It, it I, you know, well, you know, it's it's funny. I was I was just re- also reading, which we're not going to cover on the show, but I was just reading the um, the there's a there's an article in Harvard Business Review this week that talks about the the changing marketing organization. Where there's a quote in there, which I absolutely I was it was going to be my rant this week, but I'm going to save it maybe to well understand it basically says marketing is too important to be left to marketers which is the you know got my hair up all on end but anyway but but to me the the headline here and they actually touch on this in the article the headline here is you know the ending marketing the way we know it and, and i think it does elevate the idea of marketing and communications as a as an important strategic thing that doesn't need to necessarily be managed at the point level. So I think it does elevate the idea of what marketing, I believe, is becoming, which is sort of this managing that brand promise across all of these different touch points with consumers um, into something more strategic, I guess, is the right way to say it. Well, I mean, you have that goal. I remember at the executive forum, you said that, you know, marketing or content marketing becomes this at this point where... It's I'd like getting, you know, being a lawyer or a doctor or an accountant, uh, a, a discipline, a real discipline, a real profession. I mean, maybe this is sort of the signs that that sort of thing is happening because it, it needs. I mean, if you look at CEO, COO, CFO, CMO, and you say to a CEO, what's the level of importance? CMO is always at the end, always at the yeah. end. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the interesting thing to me is, is that, you know, and I'm old enough to remember where, if you asked a room full of marketers how many of them had classic marketing and business education, you know, the whole room would go up, right? The, every, every hand in the room would go up because it was an actual thing that you went to university for and studied. And nowadays, you know, if you get 10% of a room to raise their hands, you know, many of us um, don't have classic training in marketing and business as sort of a background for us in marketing. You know, so many are, you know, musicians and former actors and playwrights and and you know physicists and you know English literature major you know all of these sort of liberal arts degrees where basically you get into marketing and that and I think a lot of that had to do with sort of the explosion of digital and and how that has really changed the rules a lot but in addition to that I think it's also provided for uh, a lot of you know sort of disbursement as it were of the actual classic practices within within marketing itself and i think 
now what this sort of signifies to me is is that there are sort of beginning to see structure and order come into the process of where digital has disrupted everything and we're starting we're just starting to figure out how to do this right i mean it's we're still in as you like to say in early innings here but we're starting to figure out that there actually we can put process behind this we actually can put strategy behind this we actually can put some level of structure behind this so that it can really work instead of just throwing spaghetti so i guess we'll see where it goes but i think to your point it all starts with saying that this is important and then showing that it's important through structural decisions and that's what png is doing so i guess we'll see i guess that's all we can say is we'll see but it makes me feel good that they're doing something and trying to elevate this role yeah, that's exactly right. All right. All right. Moving on. Interesting. Inter- this is super of- interesting and, and confusing at the same time. But yes, but yes. you go ahead with the yeah. opening and I'll. Well, all right. So it's, I mean, I think this more, it's, it may end up with more question marks at the end of this than, than it does periods. But let's look. So there's a new publishing platform coming. Um, and it promises to be a new publishing platform for readers. Um, this article coming uh, from, I love the name of this site, although I was never familiar with it before, Newsasore, um, which is kind of fun. Um, and it's this idea that there's a new announcement made between two leading newspapers and the nonprofit Mozilla community, the M- Mozilla community, the one who brought you the wonderful Firefox browser. And basically they're trying to create, as they say, a, quote, publishing platform for readers, end quote. And they're calling it Open News. Um, and it's being done by the New York Times, the Washington Post, Mozilla, and the Knight Foundation uh, with a three, uh, almost $4 million grant from the Knight Foundation to start this thing. And I guess it's the way I took it, and I'd love to get your take on this, from, especially given your background. I, what I took from it was it was basically trying to create a platform for citizen journalism, basically where citizens that were interested in what I guess they would call true journalism or in public discourse could go in and talk about issues that are important i guess it kind of felt to me like what some of the news organizations now do with their sort of citizen journey you know you can participate in the news and publish your pictures and your articles and your comments but only trying to make it a much more democratized thing i mean is that what you kind of took out of it or was there something different that yeah i that's what it sounded like to me and i'm i'm going to go on record uh, to say to oh, say that no. this will epically fail. What, there you <laughs> go. You heard it here first, folks. So, <laughs> and and by the way, it took me a and this it just could, could be because it's afternoon and I was getting tired. I it took me a while to figure out what the heck they were doing. So, but I think you got it right. So so it's like okay, yeah, we're we're the big news organizations, and we don't necessarily like how some of the startups and smaller companies are. Uh, engaging in what they think should be citizen journalism. So we're the New York Times and Washington Post and Knight Foundation. And so we're going to work with this startup-y type of thing that Mozilla is going to help us with called Knight Mozilla Open News. And we're going to put this platform together and it's going to be the answer uh, to whatever problem, which I don't even know if there's a problem. I think they're just saying that maybe there's a better way for to get citizen journalism out there well this i mean and this strikes me that strikes me at the heart of the whole thing right i think you just said it right is this basically a hammer in desperate search for a nail right i mean it's you know is there really a problem with citizens voicing their opinions seems like it yeah seems like there's a lot of opportunities for that or whether it's facebook or twitter or huffpo or buzzfeed or what i mean they can TMZ would be happy to pick it up. I mean, there's lot lots of different ways to do it. I mean, there's just a couple things with this which I think are critical and kind of learnings from this whole thing. Um, it's on a grant. It's a three point nine million dollar grant, which means that it right. needs to be renewed at some point in order to continue funding. So the problem with the grant issue is that they have to renew that grant. So at some after the the three the three point right. nine million dollars runs out, they're going to have to show something for it in order for that to get renewed. It's a lot harder to get renewal from a grant, I think, in a lot of cases, although grant people will tell you that's not true. Anyway, so that's the the first part. The second part is whenever you have big companies coming in trying to do something startup-y, it usually fails. And when I say usually, I mean 99.9% of the time. 
it fails. Sure. Because when Pet Media, even though we weren't a big company, we were about a $350 million company at the time, we had we were seeing all kinds of digital disruption. And we were like, oh, we can go at them this way. And the fact is, is those almost always failed because we weren't being led by a very hungry CEO with a lot of money behind them and bills to pay and whatnot. And we just didn't have, it takes vision. It takes a, a visionary CEO to do some of these things. I think it's now. A great I don't point. know. I think that's. Yeah, a, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I don't know who's going to lead this. So maybe if they came out and there was a visionary CEO that was going to lead this effort that says, "Here's the problem, and here's how we can fix it." But boy, I, I read this a couple times, Robert, and I'm just like, I'm, I'm just not, <laughs> just not seeing it. <laughs> well, I don't either. Um, I don't see it. You know, I don't. I, I, my, my challenge with it was I just didn't see that the. I didn't see the problem that it was really trying to solve. Um, you know, I mean, I, there are, and I'm forgetting. As you were talking, I was trying to remember the. There's a. There's an organization. I think it's actually here in Los Angeles too, which is a basically an affiliation or an aggregation of all of these sort of investigative journalists who have come together and they formed a nonprofit to sort of save the practice yeah. of investigative journalist journalism and they've put out they actually have their own platform that they produce news from and it's basically both crowdfunded and grant funded how's that work like that and it's I, well, I think it's okay, but I'm, you know, I think, but the the fact that I can't remember the name of it and that it's not it's not a household world I th- a word, I think, it sort of says. But, a but lot I think, about wouldn't it, right? it be I mean, smarter? So. I mean, and, and I know, and not that I'm bent towards nonprofits or anything, because I love. I mean, there's so many wonderful nonprofits out there, but sometimes it just makes sense for these for the Times and the Post to actually fund a startup. To go do, to go disrupt, and say we're going to put some money. Well, I wonder on the if, side. yeah, I wonder. I totally agree with that. I just wonder if that was sort of, the, the, yeah, I could see that discussion happening in in one of the conference rooms that they sort of had this meeting with, and over you know over pizza and coffee, and they went, you know, but if we do that, then it's going to look like we're we have an act, you know, we have some sort of axe to grind or we have an angle on this, you know what I mean? And so if we do it through a, a foundation like through Mozilla or the Knight Foundation, then it feels like a little more, you know, I, I, I could see them worrying about the public perception if they were to fund a startup. Do you do know this. Hearst Ventures? Have you, have you, you know, of Hearst Ventures? I have heard of them. Yeah, I have, I have see, heard of them. See, that's what makes yeah. sense to me. And I think everybody listening to this, I mean, this is a really, Fair this enough, is a really yeah. good way to do it. I mean, Hearst, I mean, how many wonderful, amazing publications does Hearst do? They have a venture uh, team called Hearst Ventures, and that a- they actually own uh, like a, a piece of Pandora. I think Bright, you know, CMI sponsors Brightcove, uh, Hootsuite, and then uh, BuzzFeed. Even, I mean, so yeah. here's, I mean, technically, you could say that BuzzFeed is a competitor of many Hearst brands, but here Hearst Vent- Ventures is, I don't know, I guess you'd look at it as a really good way to diversify. That's a great. So point. I don't know. It's, it's, That's it's, the way. Yeah. That, no, I mean, I would look point. at you yeah. could look at that from a content marketing standpoint and say because we get that question all the time. How do I get started in content marketing? You might say, well, instead of starting an internal pilot, maybe you actually fund an outside initiative that you, so that right. gets outside of the political issues that usually stop a content marketing initiative, and you're a little bit more free to experiment. So, yeah, absolutely anyway. right. All right. Well, enough of that then. Enough of that nothingness. Yeah, get rid of that. <laughs> Done. At least I hope I'm right. No, I know. I know. I well, hope I'm well, wrong. I hope it does make well, it. I it will we'll be see. Right. Well, I will yeah. be right. But I'll. Yeah. Well, a year from now, we'll look back at this, and open news will be like the biggest thing ever, and we'll be like, well, okay, well, we were wrong. Um, next news item, interesting from uh, this. I mean. There, this the article that we're going to put in the show notes come from Search Engine Land, but basically you couldn't really miss everywhere. this if you were yeah. following Facebook or Google Plus or Twitter. Basically, what Google removing the author picks really means, and what this is is basically if you if you have been under a rock and missed this for some reason, uh, basically Google shook up the SEO world yet again by removing the picture that came up with author-related searches. Um, It could have been titled, you know, Google removes headshot from author link and the world explodes. Um, But basically, I mean, my take on this, I don't know if you have a take on this, but mine is this is totally much ado about nothing. Um, But there's the article on Search Engine Land I really liked because it puts a lot of sanity into it. It talks about how this is a UX, UI decision basically for Google and talks talked about 
that, you know, he actually brings up this really interesting because he follows this, the author of this article follows sort of the author R-E-L link thing um, on Google. And he talks about that there was, I guess, uh, a time back in May where the author stuff disappeared completely. And he says this wasn't, he didn't think that was now a glitch. He thinks that was actually a test um, that Google was running against the entire algorithm to say, hey, is this, you know, is this something that really matters or not? And when they determined that it really didn't, um, they actually decided to make the choice. Um, did you have? A, I mean, did you did you have a particular take on this on this Google author? Well, I, actually, the I just, yeah, just want to make sure everybody's clear. So this means that in a lot of cases, when you do a search on Google, you'll come up with a result, and the and the author of the article on whatever site it could be Entrepreneur, it could be Content Marketing Institute, it could be Search Engine Land. It'll have the picture of the article as long as we if you set up Google authorship. To, to, to work with right. your site, correct? That's right. Now, That's okay. exactly right. So here's here's my take. I, <laughs> Of course, my completely cynical take of this whole thing. I think that because the – and I know they're talking about doing it because of UI and mobile and whatever. I really do think that, first of all, those performed much higher because it was visual in nature and a little bit more personal because the person's picture was there. And that doesn't – help Google at all from a revenue standpoint. So I think that that's a negative, but I think the real reason, so that you could say that's the reason and we just don't want organic to do that well. We want the ads to do better, whatever that, that could or could not be. And I don't think that's it, but I'm thinking that's a, well, but they're not taking the link away. They're only taking, that's the picture exactly away. right. But so that what, but by, by taking the picture away in theory, it will perform, it won't perform as well as it did because the stats, at least, if you oh, I yeah, you are being I'm being cynical very there, cynical, but so that's the first that's the first thing I thought of. I actually don't think that that's the case. I think this, the real reason why this is all happening is they're putting up a smoke screen for all of this, and the real reason is because Google Plus is being dismantled. Well, that well, that I that I would that's agree with what you it on, is. I think. Well, they're saying they're they're coming out and they're saying, oh, it's because of. Uh, uh, all this UI and mobile stuff, and this is the real way, and we were testing it for a while. Right. The real reason is no, they don't know what they're right. doing with Google Plus right now. Right, you're about to right, you're about to lose the ability to update your picture in Google Plus, and so therefore, if no picture exists, there's no reason for you to have to update. Well, it. they forced, and the if we if we know the history of Google Plus, when they first came around, and, and Sergey was really into the whole thing. They forced integration of Google Plus throughout all the platforms, even YouTube comments right. and everything. And we know all the disasters right. that happened along with that. Now they're taking it all back. I mean, I don't know where we're going to go right. from there, but I think this is just the end result of that happening. And now the uh, the search team, the search results team, Matt Cutts and, and friends, can do whatever they want outside of Google Plus, and they're not beholden to that team anymore. That's right, and I think that's a, and that's a good point, right? They can they can start doing what they want, um, and they can keep the Google Author relationship in there, which Cuts is basically quoted, and he's quoted in this article as talking about that he thinks it's important because you know he wants to see you know authors get surfaced you know when they have high trust and high you know sort of high engagement on their content, even on a topic that they may not be necessarily. Uh, quote unquote popular in and the, the example that he always uses is you know Danny Sullivan might be surfaced on an article that he wrote on some lesser known topic because he's so trusted in yeah. other on other issues and I think that's I think that's exactly right so basically removing the image just basically says yeah we can now you know cut the cord between Google plus the social yeah. network and the search and the search results therein yeah but, I think you I think that that feels but right as a learning as we wrap this one up it's really much ado about nothing. Really, like for content yeah, marketers, it's don't not, do anything different. It's, not that big it's a just deal. inside yeah, baseball and the SEO realm. Yeah, well, Google authorship still yeah. matters, right? You know, so so from a search perspective, it still matters, and it's and it's that's where I think the conflation sort of occurred is that people were saying, "Oh my gosh, I spent so much time, you know, getting my Google authorship stuff right, and now it's all for nothing." It's like, no, 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 no. It's still Google authorship is still important. You just lost a, you know, you just lost the image. Do, do they let Do that's they all. let you put? Uh, pictures and ads? No. Okay. No. There's All no right. pictures there's and an, ads. Yeah. I mean, there are there are banner ads that you can do across. But no, network, no. But right? just so in, you can, if you're yeah. looking at Google text uh, desktop and Google ads, there are no. There's no pictures. There are no ads. There's no pictures. All right. No so pictures. that's my right. that's my uh, prediction. 
They're they're gonna they're <laughs> dropping. They're they're going to slowly drop imagery. From, I'll take they're that. They're gonna bet. slowly drop Im- imagery from the organic results, and they're gonna add them to the ads. <laughs> I will take that bet. I would take that bet. Okay, there friend. we go. What what are we betting? What are we? I don't know. A nice steak dinner steak sounds dinner. good. I mean, and what's the timeline um, here? What's the time they, frame here? That they introduce it in six months from today. So basically, by oh, the end of done. The day, I'm oh, I'm gonna so see, on that. You're gonna see it start yeah. being tested. I'm, I'm so on that bet. You will okay, not see it before okay, the end of the year for listeners, sure. Listeners, you've heard it All here right. first. I'm going to start to think about right. which so, steak I want. I want a, I want a steak Ray on. Hall from Hyde Park. I think uh, there you go. I'm well, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll just you got to take me to that fancy drink place in oh, Cleveland. Oh, yeah, wanna that's going to happen. Absolutely. That's what I want. All right. And next story. Owned editorial content claims majority of mobile media spend, uh, says a new study done by uh, advertising company ShareThrough. This article comes uh, uh, through ClickZ. Uh, and basically, it's an article that really talks about this study that ShareThrough did. It took me a couple of times to read uh-huh. this through to understand it. but And I want to get your take, Joe, because I want to make sure I understand it correctly. But as I understand it, what they're saying is here – that when we do, when brands, when businesses are using paid advertising, the call to action there uh, on mobile, so it's paid advertising on mobile, that basically owned media properties as the call to action are getting 70% of the budget uh, as compared to linking to uh, an earned media article or a, uh, or a or a paid media article. In other words, if I'm doing a advertisement for linking to my piece of content, 70% of my budget is going to go toward linking it to my blog or to my website. And as they say, you know, uh, uh, basically the other percentages, which are much smaller, 3% in the case of earned and, and whatever the remainder is for paid, are going to go to an article that either like a press release that I got covered in the New York Times or uh, some other paid piece like a native advertising piece. There we go. Ding, ding, ding. 36 minutes in um, would get to that. Is that is was that your you takeaway as well? I was really confused because at first I thought this was if I'm creating original content. Where does it go? Does it go to my own media? Do I actually create sponsored opportunities? And then I didn't understand her. Now I think what you're saying is correct. So you're saying if I actually pay for promotion of that content, right. where will it end exactly. up going? Where will that's it, right? Okay, so basically what we're saying is seven, seven out of ten, about seventy percent, are going to owned sites. And those, uh, which makes yeah. sense to me, right? I mean, that doesn't surprise me at all. That you know, if hey, if I'm if I'm spending money to promote a piece of content, I'm going to spend money to send it to uh, my blog or to my website or to my owned property, rather than to an article that I got placed in my PR agency or to a article that I paid to have placed in a paid or native advertising type of of, of format. And so, I mean, I looked at those figures and went, okay, that's yeah, I get that. I guess the interesting thing is, and they actually call this out in the article too, is they say they looked at engagement across the three, paid, owned, and earned. And what they said was is that earned media has a lot more engagement. So their question was, would advertise because because it was such a small percentage, literally three percent of the paid advertising budget going to earned media articles, would it make sense to sort of divert some of that money that you're spending on diverting uh visitors to your owned media properties to this earned media properties and my my takeaway from that is maybe right in other words am i gonna spend money to point people to an article on the new york basically feeding the new york times article you know on a piece of earned media that i've gotten new york times covers my business or covers something that my ceo wrote or something like that am i gonna pay for advertising to promote that maybe i I might do that i'm not sure though it's it it would really depend on the well i think if you're if you are if it's educational related then i think owned is you know your owned is fine but if you're talking about yourself you're not going to promote that i would hope you're not going to promote that although a lot of people do but if if the new york times covers you or the industry trade magazine covers you and you wanted to promote right. that because somebody else covered you or did a product review of you i think that's completely fine i do too and i think it can be in, in, in very in very niche cases i think it could be a really smart strategy like if you get an amazing somebody made this case to me the other day it was they were talking about how content promotion you know, like an Outbrain or Taboola or something like that can really pay off in this way is 
you can use that to pay for traffic. You know, somebody gives your site an amazing, re- or your product rather, an amazing review, right? You know, it's like you get this amazing coverage uh, of a review. I would pay for some advertising to point to that review. You know, why not? Why you know we you, did right? this too because um, we have experience doing this a couple times when we've gotten some fairly well-known sites to see. Here's the five things that learned at content marketing world or, or amazing upcoming event content marketing world. Here's what you'll see. We'll definitely put some dollars behind that through our uh, promotion channels. I mean, yeah. and send them I, I to those sites. A, I think that's going to be a great strategy. I well, think that's going to be a great when strategy. When we were first launching content marketing world, Sydney, and we were working with the good folks at Outbrain, that's, they suggested that they said, if you're going to promote your event and you want to use our platform, don't have it come from your site. You'll get better engagement, pushing it to somebody else's site. So right. that's where would you, just, but you have to have that asset. You are, or somebody else has to have talked about you to do that. That's the only issue. But in most cases, I think that what what we're seeing makes sense. That the most of the time, you're going to promote a piece of content. You're going to have it go back to one of your own sites, which is a really good segmentation of corporate blog, your website, and a branded editorial site, which is exactly which is interesting. Well, and and one last thing on this, I guess I would is that. And, you know, I, I obviously don't have privy to the, the actual raw study numbers or anything like that. But I looked at engagement across the paid, owned, and earned, at least from these guys' work and study. They saw that engagement is basically equal yeah, it's pretty close. across all three. You know, and and so, huh, that that actually says something interesting to me as well, which is the engagement across something like a native advertising versus a paid piece of content versus something that we get covered and 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 versus the a great piece of content that we create on an own platform engagement levels are roughly equivalent which is really interesting makes I the think. case for testing cuz each one is going to be different yeah cuz we cuz this yeah. really doesn't tell you outside of the fact that there may be an opportunity to promote to earned content this really doesn't tell you a heck of a lot from a engagement standpoint. No, I mean it basically says if you if you pay for the traffic, the engagement's going to be basically the same across all three. You know, so you know, paying for traffic, you know, buyer beware. There you kind go. Of thing, right? Yeah. Well, speaking of paid traffic, I guess in an interesting way, we have a lovely, lovely sponsor to talk about, and I, I, I absolutely love the content. We did, I did get a chance to check it out, and it's just once again they have outdone themselves. Well, I guess if you're going to promote is. content, you better promote some good content. So the folks at Emma do a very good job of that. One, thank you to this old marketing's sponsor this week, Emma. You want to check them out at myemma.com. Emma email marketing for the modern brand. Uh, where if you don't know, you get mobile res- mobily responsive templates, which you would never realize how important those are, social integration tools, and, of course, the now infamous concierge services from Emma. Um, they ha- they're promoting their new content this week. As Robert said, check it out, a great piece of content. Uh, we all know that there are horrible pieces of promoted content out there. This is not one of them. The 8-Second Challenge email marketing for the shrinking attention span. You can download it now at bit.ly.com slash pnr-emma8, the number 8. That's bit.ly.com slash pnr-emma8. And once again, thanks to the folks at Emma for supporting this. I think this is something like seven weeks so seven weeks in a row of uh, being our key sponsor, and we cannot thank them enough. They're just so great. They're so great, and and it's just so wonderful. This, I mean, go download this piece of content. It's just awesome. It's just really. And apparently, we're doing pretty well promoting it because they renewed after their first one that they did. So there you go. So So thank you, listeners. And (laughs) beyond the reviews that we want, if you go and click on these things too and, and engage in them, it helps us as well. So there you go. Exactly. We we our our white cats that we pat back here. Thank you as well. Okay. Moving on to our favorite part of the show, our rants and raves, where Joe and I give a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave to something that's really bugging us or something that we quite love. And and and, and Joe this week has the first rave, I believe. And, and interestingly enough, I think we're going to do. We're both doing. Is I if you if you don't get enough Facebook yeah. on this show, folks, well, you're going to get your fill of Facebook over the next couple of minutes. Here is uh, Joe does a rave about Facebook, and I'm going to do a rant it's, about exactly. Facebook. So, so uh, and I've been ranting the whole time, so I, I figure I have to do a rave here. I read a fantastic article, so I, I have to recommend it. 
It's in the latest issue of Fast Company. Uh, just put in Fast Company Facebook uh, 2014 and the Google, you'll find it. Um, so they did one on the future of Facebook. I read the whole thing a couple times, Roberts, because I'm, I just I was fascinated about what has happened to them over the past two years, specifically to their app ads program that they launched. So just and by the way, I have a blog post that I go through this whole thing in detail. It'll be out next month on month this coming Monday. Um, so it basically is called the one change Facebook made that led to a billion dollars. Wow. And so just long story short, Facebook's IPO came out in 2012 and then the stock dipped by and people don't remember this and now their stock is humming along their stock dip, dip by over 50 percent and so it's down less than 20 dollars per share wouldn't we all like it you know to buy it now at 20 20 dollars <laughs> per right. share now the major reason according to this article from fast company is that their management and performance structure was a little off balance Basically, what that means is the ad team was responsible for revenue, the product team was responsible for user engagement, and those two teams were at conflict all the time. So what they did was they brought the ad team and the product news team together, and they were all compensated under a single metric, and that was revenue. Which is very, wow. uh, which by well, which that. by the way, now you're seeing a lot of media companies do that same thing. And I just had a wonderful tour of our friends at Northeast Ohio Media Group, it runs the Plain Dealer, the largest newspaper in Northeast Ohio, and they have done a very similar thing where they're bringing salespeople to work directly with the newspeople. Formerly taboo, right? That was like never would happen in news. It would never happen in media, and now it's happening. And Facebook was really well, not one of the first ones, but they they did this. They put them under the single metric of revenue, and what they found was they argued that they would get a lot more ideas uh, and they would get more creative and more diverse from a company standpoint, from a team standpoint. Well, they did that, and over the next six months, they released their solution to app ads, which came out of both sides, the ad side and the news side, and that has now led to... I mean, how popular are app ads now? I mean, no, I mean the most yeah, maybe right. the most popular launch... Uh, mobily in history at the time when facebook came out with their ipo they had almost zero in mobile now 57 percent of their revenue i believe is from mobile for facebook which is amazing and now i think is a reason why google's sort of trying to figure out uh oh we might actually have a competitor here and and if you read the article by the way they're going headlong after google i mean they they are they believe that search is their realm and they're going to go get it and they've they figured out an advertising model that's going to get them there, and these app ads is working really well. So my hat's off, my rave is the fact that they made that pretty bold decision. And then the rest of the article that I'll, I'll release on Monday, so check it out, is really about how I think we as content marketers really need to look at that model as we're all, and you you talk about this all the time, Robert. If you get a team that that is compensated and measured differently, you're going to have problems with your content marketing. <laughs> yeah, and right? this is and Facebook exactly. did and they fixed it. So I yeah. think that it's really it's it's a really good learning for us content marketers. It's a fantastic learning. I love that. I love that story. Well, well let's okay, hear the, so, the the dark side. What do you got? Well, no, no. So here's the interesting thing. So I mean, anybody who's listened to this show for some time knows that I'm no fan of Facebook um, or fanboy, I should say, of, of Facebook. And and this actually isn't this rant isn't against F- Facebook itself, um, although it it includes Facebook as a part of it. Um, uh, so if you haven't noticed over the weekend and on Friday, I think it came out. Um, Facebook released a study, um, and Time Magazine actually covered it, and it has since gone viral, where they talked about uh, basically the, all of the headlines have read as such. Facebook manipulated users' emotions uh, in, you know, in, in, for the sake of science. And it was basically Facebook researchers who uh, some time ago uh, targeted, I believe 600,000 is the number that's being currently bandied about, um, users' streams, right? So they're, the content in their news feed. And they altered it. They altered the Facebook algorithm to, in some cases, be have to feature more positive news and, in some cases, to feature more negative news to see how that would affect uh, users' In a, uh, basically interaction with the platform. So, And what they found, broadly speaking, and you can certainly go read any of the studies to, to sort of see the nuances here, but basically, broadly speaking, they found that, yeah, if you see more positive stuff, you are generally going to 
produce more positive stuff. And if you see more negative stuff, you're going to produce more negative stuff. So it does, in fact, affect your emotions. I think that's a little bit of a reach there, but okay. My rant is the ensuing explosion that is currently in effect, right? So I've, I've seen no fewer than 10 blog oh, posts today. Yeah. So just sort of huffing and puffing and, and the fire breathing about how Facebook manipulated people's emotions and, oh my God, how dare they? And, and, and all of this kind of thing. And I feel like this is twice in a row. I'm sort of sticking up for the man here, but, but the, uh, because last week I did the whole thing against, anyway. Um, but my thing is we just got to take a deep breath here. Because if you don't believe that this not only has happened before, but is continually happening in every single interface that you consume content through, you are kidding yourself. Tele- I, so I come from television, and I can tell you firsthand that television networks, for as long as they have been in existence, have altered programming to see how consumers would react. Have, have altered your – they've done it in regional markets where they've tested programming and advertising blocks for specific regions to test how they, they you know, consumers might react. And they've done things like looked at uh, news and produced you know, more negative news items in a, in a particular market or more positive news items in a particular market to see how users would react to more negative or more positive news or more negative or more positive sitcoms or, and so on and so forth. Television has been doing this forever. Newspapers have been doing this forever. Every mass media outlet you've ever consumed has done this kind of experiment. In fact, there's a very well-documented experiment done back in the late 90s where they, uh, there was a study done of, of, of audiences where they were shown specifically 14-minute TV news to see if it affected positively or negatively their emotional state. And guess what they found? Yes, if you watch more negative news, you are generally going to feel bad about yourself. And if you watch more positive news, you're going to feel more positive about yourself. And so it, to me, it's like, again, I guess I, I'm finding myself repeating myself for the second way. We can get angry that the fact that they weren't more transparent about this or we can be a little bit upset about the fact that they, you know, they 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 weren't as forthcoming with this but to assume that they're not already doing it and that the you know that that the actual content itself manipulated emo- they didn't ma- manipulate your emotions or anybody's emotions what they did was they altered their own algorithmic output of the content that's already there and watched what happened and they had no idea what would happen it might have had no effect. It might have had a big effect. And I, I mean, so, in fact, we talked about one this show, which was Google turned off author pictures and author related links on the search. And everybody, a bunch of people noticed. They wrote blog posts about it. And this is happening yeah. all of the time with, with where, you know, it's one of those that the classic if you can't figure out what the product is, the product is you. And if you don't think that, the companies are going to do product-related research on you all the time. You know they do it in retail all the time. They will alter your experience in the store, basically in positive and negative ways, to see how. Well, isn't you react. that with the, the it, way. you were the one that told me about William Sonoma and the fan with the? Didn't they test that yeah. out with with as they were doing the cooking classes and stuff like that? They have a fan that would blow out the the smell into the, the smell. mall. Into, into the mall to, because as you right to see how you would to see how you would react or whether you would come into the store or not, you know. And I get that it's you know it's a little manipulative uh, that you know that they that they did this and and you know I mean maybe they again did it they communicated this in a very ham fisted way maybe, but I the the level of vitriol and 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 sort of huffing and puffing that is going on over this, I guess is what is sort of just mystifying. I guess if you're on a platform that you don't pay for, that you have a very long list of terms and conditions, they can pretty much do anything they want. So that is true. And you, and look, if you don't like it, get off of it. Right. You know what I mean? It's like, if you don't like being manipulated, because guess what? The algorithm in general is manipulating, right? Google has been doing this forever. Facebook has been doing this for every company that produces media in any massive way that is algorithmically figured out for you is watching what you do and emotional output is only one factor of what they're looking at. Every time a company does product-related usage research, they're looking at the way that you actually behave and making research-based decisions on the way you behave. The fact that I think what everybody's freaked out about is is that it was 
emotionally based. So we're reacting in a very interesting emotional way. I would way. just read the book, um, the George Orwell classic, 1984, just to get right. just to get a little feel for what we're up ahead of against a very right. positive viewpoint right. of the future. Right. Right. And again, I'm not de- I'm not trying to defend Facebook's communication methods of how they did this. Well, you know, if I were them, I don't know that I would have published this study. Um, but, you know, but to the the they're anyway, bold. Yeah, they don't care. Right. Yeah. 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 And, and as one article I read today said, you know, this will all like all things sort of, you know, basically this is going to feed a lot of traffic to those who are, you know, huffing and puffing about it now and. Six months from now, we won't have remembered right. that this even existed. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, uh, we have to change the topic entirely. It's now time for the namesake of our show, This Old Marketing, where we talk a little bit about the content marketing example that, uh, that, we, want to, uh, that we want to highlight. And, Joe, I know you have a really interesting one. Well, this you know, week. it's – you know, I've been harping on, on print and how uh, there's been so many companies that – have just gone digital and they're competing with all that's digital right now. And sometimes it's very hard to break through the clutter uh, in digital format. And, you know, I've, I've wrote, written countless articles on the power of print. And just the other day, I get a print publication in the mail called The Programmatic Mind. Beautifully designed, by the way. Uh, it looks like it's, especially for me, it's called The Latest News, or the, the tagline is The Latest News and Resources for CMOs in a Programmatic World. I said, oh, this is interesting. I'm going to go through it. It's got a mixture of original content and syndicated content, which is because they, they actually have content here from ClickZ. I think there's a Marketing Profs article in here as well. So they, they're curating content from around the web. They're bringing it into print format. And this is published by a company called Chango, which I think it's a quarterly. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's a quarterly publication. And then I'm like, I've never heard of Chango before in my life. So I'm like, well, what the heck is Chango? <laughs> so I go on the web. I, I you know, re- read a few of these articles, really enjoyed it, had a great time with it. And Chango, I find out, is a programmatic advertising platform, which now makes sense with their tagline. But well-designed, well-put-together. I sent a note to the CEO and the CMO of Chango just saying how much I appreciated it and, uh, you know, keep it coming. And all I – I mean – I don't know. I don't know what results they have. I haven't talked to them. They they were nice enough to send me a response back that they're really proud of the publication. They look like it's their fifth issue. But all I want to say is is that I get bombarded with people sending me stuff all the time. Like I, I mean, not that I'm any I'm any different than you or anybody else. But you know, we get a lot of stuff. Hey Joe, would you look at this? Take a look at this. Here's an article. Whatever. I got a print publication. It came in the mail. It stood out in front of all the other clutter. I got. I took it. It looked relevant right away. It was well-designed. I read it, and now I have an affiliation here with Chango in some way, shape, or form. And I'm just saying opportunity, right? But hats off to the folks at Chango. Great stuff. It's the programmatic mind. Go ahead and check it out on the web. I believe they have a digital version too, but the print is just fantastic. So if you get a chance, subscribe to it. It's fantastic. Yeah, Love it. Love it. Absolutely. All right. Well, what's uh, what's what, what big plans for Independence Day? Oh, uh, we do. What's, we what's, always what's have all the all the neighborhood kids uh, come over to our house. Uh, we got a little uh, above ground oh, pool in the backyard. Nice. We we there's a parade that goes right by our house, um, and then all the kids will come over. We'll do we'll do dogs and burgers on the grill and just have a party all day oh, long and play great. basketball, cornhole, and and stuff like that. How about yourself? Okay, wait, 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 what, basketball and cornhole. what? You never uh, played cornhole. Oh, you no. take a, basically take a beanbag from one side and you try to throw it into a hole, and you you have teams. It's like oh, horse. It's like fantastic. horseshoes. It's like it's like okay. a hick version of horseshoes. If there is such a thing, there you go. Well, Next, I'm from Texas, and I don't. Oh, you know, I I'll mean, tell I've you what. Horseshoes, Next but. time you come over, we're playing cornhole <laughs> because you will be addicted. It's the be- It's it's the best drinking game around because you actually get better as you drink more. Oh, you know what I like on drinking is a, a little bit of bocce. Oh, ball. Well, there you go. Bocce yeah, ball. this is a yeah, this is a, a this is a much ball. easier version of that. <laughs> okay, all right. Well, there how about you? Have you? It. you doing anything fun? Um, uh, I am. You know, we will do what we always do on the Fourth of July, which is to really lay low and and um, and and we you know we we are fortunate enough to live uh, on a golf course where the country club does a uh, fireworks show, so we oh, actually nice. can walk out onto the course and just really sit 
you know, and watch the fireworks and, and we'll do the same thing. Barbecue, sit out by the pool and, and just, uh, and just relax a little bit. And I'm home for the month. So I am super happy about that. Going to get caught up on all kinds of writing and, and, and no, you know, no travel to the end of the month. So super Fantastic. happy about that. Well, hats off. And, yeah. and then a special, uh, special thoughts to all those military who have absolutely who have fought, made the july 4th possible so there you go yep absolutely all right well that is it for joe polizzi this is robert rose signing off and all of that stuff if you want to follow us or you know just connect with us or you have a question send us a note hashtag us on this old marketing on twitter or send us an email at this old marketing at contentinstitute.com. And if you like this episode number 33, we hope you'll consider subscribing on iTunes or Stitcher.com. All the links on the show notes available at thisoldmarketing.com. Remember, everybody, have a great 4th of July. It's your story to tell. Tell it well. We'll see you next week on This Old Marketing. This Old Marketing.